Taking personal time while working was the central focus of a recent British Columbia decision at the Civil Resolution Tribunal, where the tribunal ordered a woman who was terminated from her job to pay her former employer over 1500 bucks as a reimbursement for what they called time theft. This has provoked an awful lot of conversation and a brand new column from our next guest who says this case is groundbreaking and signals a troubling trend emerging some from some remote workplaces. Always a pleasure to say good morning and welcome back to employment lawyer Sunira Chowdhury. Sunira, good morning. Good morning, Sterling. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you back. Belated Happy New Year to you because we haven't spoken for several weeks. Always a treat to have you with us. What did you make of this case? It all boiled down to scenario. And you, your last column and your first one of the new year was about em, uh, employment or employee rather performance plans. And actually, it dovetails interestingly into this one because this person had been brought in by her employer to uh, to uh, uh, go through a performance review because they weren't satisfied satisfied with what she was doing and in the course of all of that they installed some kind of surveillance software and that led to the ultimate dismissal of the employee and the decision by the tribunal to have her repay money that she had billed for that the uh, surveillance software determined she didn't do any work during that time so talk to us about all of these ingredients spend let's begin with the surveillance software senora Yes, Sterling, it's a really interesting case because the surveillance software in uh, the BC case that I covered this weekend was called uh, Time Camp. Right. And what it, and what it does, um, or at least it purports to do, is it's tracked, it tracks employees' movements on their laptop. So as an example, if you open a client file, if you open some client documents, that's going to be tracked as work activities but the decision says if you open up like a streaming service like disney plus that's going to track it personal and so of course there are many of us out there that might like to stream some youtube while we work or you might have some music playing in the background the issue that i'm seeing of course is that what we're doing and how employers are going to be managing productivity we're about to see some much higher level of scrutiny here. And what's really, really interesting, Sterling, is that the court totally relied on the evidence of this software. It didn't need a supervisor to come in and say, so-and-so wasn't doing the work we asked her to do. Right. I mean, of course, that, 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 you know, some of that evidence was there. But the major evidence that we saw here was from the software itself. So the trend, the troubling trend that I've been covering over the last two weeks is that as a remote worker. Many remote workers have never, ever met their bosses. Right. And so that face-to-face trust that you kind of build over time, that's eroding really quickly. If you are getting hired into a remote role, you may well suspect or expect that your work is going to be tracked by a piece of software rather than a human being, and that might be a troubling trend for employment. Right. So, Sunira, is it uh, is it mandatory? Is it is there onus on the employer? Let's just say I'm being hired for uh, a, a new job, and I'm going to do it from home, and we uh, the employer gives me a, a company laptop to work on and so on. Is it the obligation of the employer to inform that new employee that, yes, the we are going to be tracking your activities uh, during working hours, or... Uh, is that just assumed? 
Well, there's new legislation in Ontario, at least, but I think it's pretty widespread that if you are going to surveil your employees, you have to inform them of it. But to be very clear with you, Sterling, and for your listeners, it is it has always been legal to monitor what employees do on you know, work devices. So there is no reasonable expectation of privacy, even using your work email. But what the law says now in in much of the country is that you have to let your employees know that they might be surveilled, that they might have their, their, uh, you know, their emails tracked or there's a productivity tracker might be placed um, on their, uh, on their, uh, on their system. Of course, a lot of us use things like Slack, Slack tells your employer when you're online or offline as it is. So employers have a lot of this baked in. They already know when you're online. They know when they're offline. They already have this data collecting. And most employees are voluntarily, you know, subscribing to these um, systems that allow an employer to see when you're working and when you're not. But, of course, this boils down to the question whether or not an employer can use that data against you, as we saw in this case, where this accountant was actually required to pay her her employer back for time that she couldn't prove that she worked in the amount of 1500 bucks, you know, 50 hours that she couldn't prove she worked. She was actually ordered by a tribunal to pay her employer back for that time. Did that surprise you, Senora, the fact that uh, not only did they catch her for, for doing or for billing uh, for hours that uh, uh, clearly, according to the time tracker surveillance software, wasn't, uh, there was no work done during that time. Did, they, did the fact that there was restitution demanded surprise you? Heck yeah, it surprised me because, first of all, it is a very rare position that an employer takes to allege time theft against an employee. And usually it's reserved for really egregious cases. As an example, if I get my buddy to punch in, you know, for me while I'm on vacation, it's it's usually reserved for cases like that. Not for, "Hmm, not sure what you did last week because I didn't see a lot of work product out of you. I'm going to allege time theft. So it's very, very rare for an employer to do. And employers generally only allege it when they want to assert a, a termination for cause, not actually to get a repayment of time, you know, uh, you know, to get back part of your uh, paycheck. That almost never, ever happens. And judges don't like it. Judges hate to see employers going after their employees that hard Mm -hmm. because there's supposed to be some implicit trust, right? There's supposed to be implicit loyalty and fidelity as between an employer and an employee. So for an employer to turn on an employee like this, it is, you know, I won't say it's unprecedented, but for a court to back up the employer in the way that this case has, I've never seen a case like it. Interesting. I'm going to change gears just ever so slightly because there's a big case or a big uh, case building between the government of Canada and many of its federal civil servants who have been working from home for the last couple of years and who are now being ordered back to the workplace for at least a minimum of two or three work days a week. And the union's uh, setting its hair on fire and this is unfair, et cetera, et cetera. Is, uh, uh, um, if you tell your employer, I'm not coming back to the office, I'm perfectly capable of doing a 100% productive job from home, if, if the employer says, no, you've got to come back, and you say, I'm not, is that reason enough to be dismissed for cause? I don't think it would be for cause, Sterling. I, don't, I, I think that if there is an impasse between what you say 
you can or how you say you can do your role and what your employer says i do think what your employer says is going to carry the day and by that i mean an employer may very well require in-person work for some of the tasks that you do you may need to collaborate with team members with customers with stakeholders i mean what have you and and an employer is allowed to dictate what the rules and responsibilities are, but they're not allowed to change your roles and responsibilities in a, in a really significant way. And so I think while we won't see terminations for cause, what we could see is job abandonment. And by that, I mean, if you don't want to come into work to do the 25% of your role or the 30 or 50% of your role that is required to be done in person, mm-hmm. some employers might turn around, including the government, and say, well, you're effectively abandoning your role. Right. Because if we need you to come in two days a week to do collaboration, to meet with, uh, you, you know, your supervisor and your colleagues, and you're just refusing to do that, well, that means you're not meeting the basic requirements of your job. You're abandoning your job. And effectively, you might just be stuck with your Employment Standards Act minimums and be off on your way. You might very well be employed, uh, unemployed with a small severance package coming your way, not the typical severance package one might expect. Wow, you and I have talked about this because we've been working from home, including you, as a matter of fact, and I've done a little bit of it myself over the last couple of years, but it's changing, times are changing, and this this big federal case is going to be something to keep a keep an eye on because there are thousands and thousands of people involved, and of course, we're helping to pay their salaries, so needless to say, we're paying very close attention to this one, and I look forward to uh, your comments as the this case gets resolved, and it's going to take a while. Sanira, just a treat to have you back. Thank you for this. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Sterling. Have a great weekend. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.